0: How you doing? This is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I'm coming to you here actually from my patio. (laughs) I wanna show off a little bit the view here from my place in Sofia, Bulgaria. It actually, as you can see, it's not that great of a view. If you look below your eye level, it's kind of a little bit of a, working class neighborhood looks like it's been through some tough times but the skyline of the city is i think kind of a kind of a cool skyline in like a, a a very stoic way you can see a little bit of the the soviet influence in the skyline definitely okay this video is going to be a little bit different this is an addendum to the social anxiety protocol videos that you have probably been watching. In fact, I encourage you to watch all of those before you watch this one. And this one, I'm going to try to go off the cuff a little bit more than I usually do. I'm going to I'm gonna go a little bit more unscripted and just kind of give you my background in regards to social anxiety so I'm going to be talking about my unique challenges with social anxiety I'll be talking about my career a little bit how that affected my social anxiety I will be talking about things that I learned from psychopaths about social anxiety I'll talk about the three most charming men that I've ever met in my life and what I learned from them. I'll be talking about losing my virginity to a spy. Yes, that sounds like bullshit, but it's a true story. I'll be talking about game and pickup, talk about smart drugs, some of course, and also talk about what I think is the real real antidote to... Social anxiety When it comes to social anxiety The the pain (laughs) as far as I can remember it really started back in in High school and middle school. This is this is just a really tough time for, for people in regards to social anxiety, isn't it? So when I was in high school and middle school, I, I wasn't smart. Now people seem to regard me as, as pretty smart. I put off that vibe for some reason. But in high school and middle school, not at all. I wasn't, I wasn't smart. I wasn't very funny. I certainly wasn't athletic at all and I was just like really skinny and not very stylish. So I was just like, I was just like invisible in high school, middle school. And as you guys watching this can notice, actually, you know what, I'm gonna make myself a little bit of a cocktail while I'm doing this video. Maybe it will engender a little bit more forthrightness. I'll show you guys actually one of my very favorite cocktails will make it right now. So going back to high school, and middle school, I was not very good looking, not very stylish, but I really, like a lot of, like, like I'm sure most young men, I really wanted a girlfriend. And I was just, I was just invisible to them. And I, I was like, okay, you know, I need, I need like an angle. I need an angle to get a girlfriend, so I think what I should have done, retrospect 2020, what I should have done was gotten like a hobby or something cool, you know, like being a DJ, being in a band, something like that. That would have been the way to get a girlfriend, but my strategy, my plan was, I was like, okay, I'm going to become a missionary. That's right, a missionary. Not, not like the sex position, but uh, like the kind of person that tries to convince you to join their religion. And I, at the time, I was actually quite religious when I was a young man. I was, I was, I was very religious. And when you're religious, as, as a lot of you know who come from religious backgrounds you get sold kind of this deal as a young religious person. And the deal that you get sold is that if you follow the religion and if you're, if you're a good person, if you follow all the rules, then what you can expect at some point in life is you can expect love and you can expect love and, and friendship. And especially something that like young religious men get told from their family and from the, the religious institution itself from from a pretty early age is they get told that they're gonna get rewarded for being a good religious person with a good woman that they're that they're gonna be able to have sex with. Right? That's that's like that's kind of like the deal. And I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a, a deal that, that has worked that's worked for a really long time because it's so appealing okay so one of my favorite cocktails here is green tea as you can see and red wine and it's a little bit it's a little bit weird of a cocktail you've probably never tried it before but it really is sublimely delicious and the green tea the umami of the green tea and the red wine they offset each other in a really complementary way the green tea is a little bit of caffeine so it energizes you a little bit really one of my favorite cocktails i recommend that you try it so i spent about 5 years of my life really doing the religious thing seriously doing like the church thing like 4 5 days out of the week I went on multiple missions trips and I was really a person that trusted that okay, if I follow this this religious process, it's going to result in me finding love in my life and this whole this whole social thing that I'm like really not very good at. It's It's just gonna work itself all out because if I follow this religious process the, the divine powers they're they're going to look out for me as long as i as long as i follow this the the whole thing of like dealing with social anxiety dealing with the social environment making friends like learning to figuring out like what actually is cool what actually makes you acceptable to people all of that that will work itself all out as long as i can just do what's in this 2,000 year old book, right? And I really spent about five years on that path. And the, my youth group, my church youth group, was, was actually a pretty cool church youth group. I'm, I, I am actually very thankful of it. However, the way it would kind of work is that I would devote like a lot of time energy to being involved with events there and trying to like coordinate events and trying to make it a really appealing environment. And I would seemingly make pretty good friends in the church youth group, but I just could not, I, I just failed utterly to move those friendships out of the church youth group. And I would, I would try, I would, you know, back then I would, I had this cool notebook. I bought, I brought this cool leather notebook and I would get all of these people's phone numbers in it. I'd walk around and ask people like, Hey, give me your phone number and we'll, we'll hang out. And I remember I filled up this notebook full of numbers. And then I would be like, okay, what time should I call you? Cause this is This is before MySpace, this is before Facebook. And I would, you know, have this, I would have so much nervousness, but I'd sit down in front of the phone. I would even even write out a script of what I was going to say to these people. I'd be like, okay, what's a joke that I could make to Tammy that's gonna make her, that would convince her to maybe be willing to see me Outside of church, like go to the movies or something like that. I would write it down, and then I would look at the phone for like for like 20 minutes. Finally, work up the call it the the courage to call, and then they wouldn't be there, or they're you know they're they're. It, it was like I think it was like probably like a third or a fourth of the calls you'd actually get through to the person, and then. I would try to organize something with them, and I discovered, (laughs) at a very early age, just how flaky people, just how flaky people are, right? And that was something where it was really like, like five years of disappointment of discovering that this, this deal that I had gotten sold by my parents, by my grandparents, by everyone who i who i really actually respected in life that you know you follow the religion and that you do as much as you can to add value within the within the church and as a result you're not going to have to deal with this arduous project process of like learning social skills that that's all just going to take care of itself and that was yeah that was that was, hugely, that was hugely disappointing. And towards the end, towards the end of that five year period, I met the, the most charming person I've ever met in my life, like like far and above anyone else, the most charming person that I've ever met. He was a guy that worked at the same restaurant that I did in high school and this guy he just he just radiated gravitas and he was one of these people that at any given time he had like multiple women like mad well i'm not going to say at any given time but he had at least one woman who was just madly in love with him at any time he had to get abortions three times that he told me about this this guy was just he was just a he was just a sex panther he was just he was just irresistible to women and he had this he had this uncanny spark of of creativity and energy he was he was just the funnest person that you could that you could party with and he kind of chose me to be friends it was it was actually kind of lucky in retrospect. We had a lot of drama that we went through and the, the friendship didn't end, up, didn't end up like ending on a good note, but it was interesting. He did kind of choose me as a best friend. There was, there was just something that he saw in me and he pulled me into his group. And there was definitely some things that he taught me about social life that I won't have learned otherwise. Let me take a sip of my drink. Mm, That is lovely. By the way, I just finished 90 days of no booze. So if some of you are wondering, like, hey, Jonathan, don't you don't you not drink? What are, what are you doing here drinking? No, I do drink. I I adore drinking, but I do these ninety day periods of immersion in in my my work projects and the things that I have going on, and I have those coincide with these periods of sobriety. So this guy, the charming guy, he was a high functioning psychopath without a doubt he had all the all the little telltale signs of being a psychopath like he would he'd be really charming but he also a lot of times just had like this really cold Lack of empathy with the way that he dealt with people, with the de- way that he, he dealt with women, with the way, especially the way he dealt with women, but definitely with, with the way that he dealt with me from time to time. He could just be really incredibly cruel. And there would be times that I felt like, wow, like my, my social life is, is really going good. Like this, this, this. Emotional, social validation that has eluded me for so long. Now that I have this guy in my life, it's it's taken care of. And then um, a couple days after that, he would do some like really terrible, disregarding, cruel thing, and I'd be like, "Wow, I'm back to I'm back to square one here. I've completely regressed back to." back to feeling like I did when I was in middle school. But he did, he did kind of teach me some things. For example, he had really impeccable style. He just always looked really good. And that was, that was one of the secrets to his charisma, actually. For for a long time, I kind of when I was younger, I disregarded style. I just, I just didn't think it was that important. But hanging out with this guy, I could see how this was one of his his secret weapons. Was that he had really, he had a really great style. What were some other things about him? Okay, he was a person that was uh, he was really impulsive. He he kind of taught me a little bit about. About just doing whatever the fuck you want to do in the moment because you feel like doing it, and and in his case, he was he was destructively impulsive, and I would not be surprised if at this point in life, you know, ten years after I've known him, if he's had some really serious bad repercussions of his impulsiveness, uh, for example. I remember one night we were at a party and he stole a sports car from this party. There was a a guy that we knew not that well, and this guy had a really I'm not gonna say nice, but it was a like a tuner sports car, like the fast and furious style of sports car that you see in the movies and this guy had invested uh, a ton in the sports car and he was super proud of it and for some reason he left his keys around or my friend the the psychopath the really charming guy he got hold of this guy's key and my friend was fairly drunk but not not more or less drunk than than, than he would than we would get usually at, at just a party. And he took this car on a joy ride. He, he stole this guy's car from the party, didn't ask his permission to take his car, and then he drove it up and, and then he, he just took off with it for about 30 minutes and just drove it like a bat out of hell and the guy who was even drunker than him quickly discovered that yeah his that his his car that he really loved had been had been stolen from the party and that's when my my friend the 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 charming psychopath he returned and he had this this huge smile on his face as he rolled up to this party and then he got in a big fight with the guy's car he had just stolen, and it ended up being a huge, dramatic, problematic thing uh, that I kind of had to save him from. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was just an instance though of this guy just always doing whatever, whatever the fuck he wanted to do, because he was, he was so impulsive and. That was kind of something that I, had, that I had really lacked in my personality up until that point. Okay, who was another charming psychopath? Well, that would be my ex-business partner. And this guy, what he had going for him was that he was just unapologetically self-interested. And when it came to sexuality, he was he was just unapologetically intentful. And he just embraced, he really embraced having a, a personality of just being like the guy that was just like always on with women, that was just always he he wasn't like a classically charming guy but he was just always very intentful someone who was really into pickup artist stuff would say that he was like a very very that he had very direct game and he was just he was just always direct with with women and he would he was also someone that he he would really play the numbers like i could see when it came to his social life he would always yeah he he had huge abundance and so he could be a little bit blasé he was with any relationship especially with with social things he was just always in a in a position where he could take it or leave it he was never in a position where he desperately needed any friendship or any relationship to work for him. And kind of similarly, there was definitely a lot of some, some times with my business partner where I felt like, you know what? Now that me and him are a team together, this whole social life thing that's been a challenge for me, I've got it, I've got it handled. As long as me and him are a team together, we can we can multiply each other's strengths, make up for each other's weaknesses, and things will be handled. But as I said, there was, he had some real core character flaws, also, and that resulted in a lot of really disappointing moments, also, and ultimately we had to yeah we had to split up our business partnership, and that was a period too where I was like wow I've gone back to square one with my social life and rely trying to kind of outsource your social life to another person again was a was a strategy that that failed me. Okay, let's talk about the third. I'm not going to say that. Okay, the first guy I talked about, he was the most charming person that I've ever met. There was another man that I met, which had just a really remarkable charm. And he was the guy that taught me to speak Spanish in Medellin, Colombia. He was my Spanish teacher and he became and is really one of my best friends in that country. and. This guy is just a, is just like a is just like a master salsa dancer in conversation. He he just has like a he, he just had an amazing ability to establish a give and take rhythm and flow in conversation and a couple of things about Diego. Diego like the other two is not was not a psychopath. Diego was a he was a Colombian who grew up in America. So he had the Latin American charm and zest for life, but he also had like some he also had like some American hustle and some American inventiveness and work ethic to him. And he was a person that kind of like a, I guess, kind of like a a quintessential Latino, Casanova, Don Juan. He knew how to kind of create the, he knew how to create like a little bit of like jealousy in situations and he would walk into a room he'd walk into a party and he would he would build some social capital with one group of people and then he would he yeah he knew he understand the he understood the how to create magnetism between groups of people in a space and to multiply his his social value with that and yeah, he was he was a charming he was a charming bastard. <laughs> okay. So those were I would say the three most charming people that I've met and by the time that I met Diego, that was quite a number of years after my relationships with the other two, so I would say that at that point in my life I understood the well I understood a little bit better the danger of not saying like okay, I'm going to outsource my social life to some other person. Okay, what's another good story? Let's talk about losing my virginity to a spy. So when I was about 18 19 years old I met this woman at a phone party. <laughs> That's right. Classy, real classy, real classy broad. We we met Bump and grinding amidst the the suds of uh, one of these hip hop foam parties, and she had like a a real quintessential like black woman's name. And she also kind of like saw something in me that she just she wanted to hang out a whole lot, and she made me kind of like the the guy in her social group. She was like an alpha female. She was the, the leader of her social group. She was the one that would say like, hey, girls, tonight we're going to go out and hit this club or this house party or whatever. And, for, and she, she saw something in my personality that she wanted me to be the guy, the guy friend in her social group, which at the time I thought was awesome. At the time, that was like almost like the best thing that had ever happened to me. And I remained there in that friend zone for probably about two years. And then finally, one night, we were going to a club, and we joked that if we didn't hook up with anyone else that night, that we would be each other's plan B, right? And then when then neither of us hooked up with anyone else. And I went to go and drop her off in her house. And I had read some PDF off the internet by some pickup artist that said that you should ask a girl if you can use her bathroom or ask for a glass of water in her house when you drop her off. And then that can escalate into things. So I did, and it did, have the desired effect. and. I actually discovered that this girl, when I had met her initially, she was working on a criminal justice degree. And then by the time that I lost my virginity with her, she was working for the Colorado uh, Justice Department. And her job was that she would infiltrate companies that they suspected were doing like some type of white collar or corporate crime that they suspect of a uh, suspected of corporate malfeasance and she would infiltrate them get a job as like a secretary or something gather evidence and then they would bust these companies and so yes i did actually lose my virginity to a spy when i was about 22 years old i started a career as a Nightclub promoter, and in in retrospect, it was it was kind of a shitty business to be in. It's 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 a diff- it's a really difficult business to make money. There's a lot of like really petty drama that you have to deal with. It's I'm I I have trouble recommending it to people. I have trouble recommending this to people who are interested in entrepreneurship. However, it was great for my development of social skills. It was one of the things that I really credit for making me the, the douchebag that I can be sometimes today. I, I credit it for helping me to develop a side of my personality that that really is necessary to get ahead in this day and age that I, I don't think I would really have if I hadn't if I hadn't spent so much time working in nightclubs around Denver. And what it does is it's a, it's a career where it's mandatory to have social abundance and where things like following up with people, things like building your list – these are mandatory, these are part of the job description. And these are kind of things that a lot of like people that are social naturals learn to do anyways. And I had to learn to do them so that I could so that I could make money as a nightclub promoter. And they're things that I do now just kind of like naturally. But especially like as a nightclub promoter, one of the things that you learn is that you have to provide social value to people for them to want to be your your friends and that the more social value you bring the more the more friends that you're going to have. And so as a nightclub promoter you learn that the things that are social value are uh, like attractive members of the opposite sex, ov- obviously. Like providing providing the party, providing the fun, providing the entertainment, providing a plan and providing a providing a, a plan that has like some credibility behind it. Like I would say, like as a nightclub promoter, one of the big things that I learned was if you're going to throw a party and you could give all these like credibility indicators to the party before throwing it, before inviting people to it, you're way more likely to have a great turnout at it. So in that business, this translated into things like, at the time, like mentions in newspapers, mentions in magazines. If we could get like a radio station or a television station to give the event a shout out, and then mention these things in our online marketing, that would make actually a really big difference in the turnout at these events. And so that was one thing that I learned was that you need all these different, and, and they, they can almost seem kind of like arbitrary, but you need these like credibility indicators for the social value that you are offering. And I'll contrast this to like when I was younger and I would try to like throw like a house party for my friends and my youth group and i would be like okay let me think of like all these fun things we can do like i can convince my mom to buy all this food i can get like all these cool songs that i think people will like i can get some cool lights and then i would call up my my 25 people that i had in my address book and invite them to my party and then i'd end up having like three of them show up and in retrospect what i was doing was i was kind of failing to provide like these like arbitrary indicators of credibility to my social to my social events. But I would say that even as a club promoter, I experienced some regression, definitely, to my social anxiety, to my, kind of like to my solitary state. Like I would have I, I would definitely have times where I would not do these things that I needed to do where I would fail to like plan to get other people arbitrarily involved with what I was doing. And my events would end up totally flopping. And I would have these experiences just like walking home alone at the end of a night where I lost money, where I barely had anyone show up for what I was doing. And I would be like, wow, Jonathan, you're really steal back at this spot of not being able to build a social circle. And boy, that was that was so damn frustrating. So I <laughs> Oh, I've got a funny anecdote I'll share with you. So I recall as a nightclub promoter, I would always be dropping the ball in some little area, like there'd be little details that I would forget. Like, for example, I'm going to grab another, another sippy sip. For example, one night we were throwing this party with a bunch of porn stars. And it the marketing for the, for the event turned out to really be effective. And we had about 100 people in line to get into this party. And the porn stars rolled up in a in a limousine that they'd been partying like porn stars in. But some of the porn stars were underage, and I had forgotten to clear this with the doorman of the venue. And this venue had really strict policy about about underage kids because of uh, you know whatever legalities, whatever complicated things they had to deal with on their end, and I had like three of these porn stars that the doorman was like, absolutely no, they can't get in, and so here I am stuck with on one side a hundred people trying to get into this party because they want to see these porn stars, and then on the other side there's about ten porn stars. And about three of them are under age. And so if you can imagine, uh, there was these, these two porn stars who were women, very gorgeous women, and they were really tall. They were, tall, really tall, I'm short, but these women were like, these were like six, five, like like quite large women, and uh, with huge uh, fake tits. and they were seething angry with me, and they were like, Jonathan, you need to figure." Out what's going on here and luckily I managed to somehow get a hold of the manager and I was able to persuade the doorman to let them in but yeah it was just a business where I was I it would see it was it was like uh, it was like ten steps back one step forward one step forward ten steps back and I was just always dropping the ball with things, and when it seemed like I had finally built a good social circle, then my social circle would just kind of crumble. And uh, okay, so let's let's move on to another topic here. Let's talk about game and pick up a little bit because I think in my mind these two areas they've been pretty inex- in. in unentangled, unentangle <laughs> They've been entangled for me for as long as I can remember. I was aware of like game and pickup for quite a while. Like maybe as young as like sixteen or seventeen. I was I was aware of it and There was all of these, like, there was just, like, these creepy websites on the Internet that I didn't really know. I would read them sometimes, and they'd say things that were a little bit counterintuitive but also kind of made sense. And I would see, for example, when I had my friend who was the psychopath who was really extraordinarily charming with women, I would see him doing things, and I would be like, Oh, they talked about that in a in one of those PDFs that I read. And so I was what it did I'm I'm kind of glad that I didn't too dogmatically follow the advice about pickup that was being shared at that time cuz some of it was some of it was was really bad and it was like really things that would lead you to really bad behavior that that is socially shunned and deserves to be socially shunned. But I had my, I had this friend who is such a natural, he was a real natural. And I would see him doing things and I would be like, oh, okay. In that PDF where this person has all these crazy misogynistic ideas, he writes about uh, this particular, he writes about this particular social dynamic And this is kind of what my friend, who is a natural, is doing. And so at that time, it provided me with kind of like this, this scaffolding of, of, uh, again, there was like some misinformation. But it gave me this view of like, okay, what I can do is I can like read about these different theories about social dynamics, and then, I can go and obs- and then I can go and observe people around me that I I can like I can see people around me that are doing well. I can objectively I objectively can see people that have lots of friends that are overcoming social anxiety that are that are building a good social group that are successful in in in, in finding love and I can look at this in the context of all this theory and I can figure out some things that might work for me and that was really really beneficial at the time because again like the the advice you get is so bad and the mainstream advice whenever i tried to apply it i just would i just would never get very far mainstream mainstream self-help advice of any kind just has it's it's just never gotten me very far and i'm i'm willing to accept that some people will uh, some people really passionately and strongly will believe things like you know, the world is a uh, is a intrinsically abundant place, and if you just embrace the abundance and if you just like give to other people, then you're gonna have abundance come back to you and Everything that you desire in life, you can just go out there and get it by, you know, just manifesting positivity. And I'm willing to kind of accept that for some people, that does work, that that does pay off. But for me, it's just never really worked that way. And for the longest time, I really have kind of believed these mainstream self-help platitudes, but I've... I've just, uh, for me, there's, there's such little improvement that results from them. And for me, the, the growth has always been in taking these really like analytical, technical kind of like hacker approaches to things and really just trying to kind of like deconstruct things and break things down in the most technical way possible and then find shortcuts that are, that are maybe counterintuitive. And that's really kind of what the, the biohacker protocol is about. You know what? I should probably clap here to make sure I'm synchronized up, because my camera only records in 30-minute blocks, and I'm just kind of rambling. right? So that's what the biohacker protocol was about, was when I look at social anxiety advice that's on the internet, some of it is things that actually makes a whole lot of sense, like you know, hey, you should try meditation, and you should get out of your comfort zone, and by doing these two things, like these will move you in that in that general good direction. But I know for me, when I've been dealing with social anxiety, when I've been dealing with the challenges of building uh, a social life, I just hear there's there's a there's a novelty gap as i like to dis- there there's a real serious novelty gap problem with mainstream self help advice like i really do believe that you can take almost any self help problem any personal development problem and if you google search that problem or you go to say the top 20 25 experts that are publicly putting out solutions to that problem, they're not going to provide you very much novel information on it. They're essentially just going to be remixing what the other experts are saying. And this was something that was tremendously difficult to me, because I would, for example, when I was in my youth group, and I was having so much problems making friends, and actually seemingly I was having so so many problems getting the friendships to transition from the, from the church into, you know, life, into, into life outside of being in church, I would ask my mom, like, hey, what should I do? And she would give, she'd give me like really well-meaning type advice that kind of advice your mother probably gave you. And uh, I'd be like, okay. And that, that wouldn't work. And so what I would do is I would, uh, Then I'd run into like a similar situation, say with like girls. And so I'd go on the internet and I'd read what like pickup artists were saying about things. And the vast majority of them had barely more insight into this problem than like, than my mom did. And so yeah, I think that there's, uh, I think there's a huge problem in the self-help, in the general mainstream self-help community with just kind of remixing solutions and not trying to really experiment with that many novel solutions. So that's part of the reason why, when it comes to social anxiety, I need to get up, move around a little bit. God, I wish I had a uh, standing desk, I can readjust this a little bit. So that's part of the reason why with the biohacking protocol, as opposed to saying a lot of the same kind of things that you're probably hearing from other people, which was like, oh, you should just do meditation. Or, you know, just break out of your comfort zone. Just get out of your comfort zone. Or, you know, do visualize it visualize yourself getting out of your comfort zone. Like you've probably already tried these things. Ad nausea. So that's why I came at. I said, you know, let's Let's, let's not be naive. Drugs are an incredible shortcut to confidence. And these smart drugs are, I think, uh, most of the literature that's about smart drugs is appealing to talking about their benefits to people that are trying to like make more money, people that are trying to be more focused, people that are trying to be better students. And I don't think there are enough people talking about how really effective they can be to get you out of your, out of your, social, uh, out of your social comfort zone. And that once you have those few positive experiences that result, from like having like some dates that go really well from going to a party and having just like a really amazing time at a party when you're on a little bit of phenibut that you're like wow my, my my life is really uh you know that your your social comfort zone is it expands so much and i think about like when so what, like I said I was a nightclub promoter and I did used to drink, quite a bit, and I uh, now now I think about it, now I prefer to do Fenibute. You guys know this. I, I talk about Fenibute quite a bit because it really is I think just one of my highest leverage social tools because it gives me all of all of the charm, all the verbal wittiness, all of the impetuousness that I I used to have as a as a nightclub promoter and as a as a as a drunk guy at a club. Fenabute uh Phenibute seems to imbue all of that, but I don't have the hangovers anymore. I don't have the I don't have that that regret the morning afterwards. I don't wake up with my lungs hurting because I'm smoking cigarettes, because I'm, I'm getting drunk. I'm not wasting hundreds of dollars a month on bar tabs. And that's, that's, really, that's really remarkable. And I say, shame on the, the mainstream self-help movement for having so much attention And for being uh, so self-indulgent and so self-congratulatory so frequently, and not telling people about these kind of tools that really for the for the person out there that really has that that is that is uh, trapped in solitary confinement in a prison that their anxiety has built around their mind when they're in social situations shame on the mainstream self-help movement for not for not presenting these kind of people with more novel solutions than saying like oh you should just you know do positive affirmations in the morning and that's that's the best solution that we have that we have for you (laughs) anyways let me let me take a look at some of my my other notes of of things that I wanted to discuss here to hopefully I know I'm I'm just ranting here this is a little bit out of the ordinary for me usually as you guys know I try to be more scripted because there's so many people on the internet that are just ranting I I'm not sure if my ranting is going to add that much more, that much more value to what's out there. Let me, let me talk about travel a little bit. I, travel has been, has been huge for overcoming social anxiety because I think, where was this? There was a, there was a There was a study on self-control where they found that setting up arbitrary habits, arbitrary yet specific habits in one area of life would lead to universal self-control gains. And the comfort zone has a lot in common with that. Your comfort zone is also something where if you arbitrarily get out of your comfort zone not only not only are you going to have a increased confidence in whatever area that you get out of your comfort your comfort zone in regards to but your comfort zone in general is going to expand a whole lot and travel is pretty hard to beat for this I, like I'm really trying to think of what are the other life hacks that get you out of your comfort zone in the same way, and it's got to be it's got to be doing pickup, entrepreneurship, and travel. I really I really can't think of anything else that gets you out of your comfort zone like those three things. Maybe there's people there may be people watching this that are like. That are like paranoid of flying in an airplane or something, or uh, holding a spider or whatever. And yeah, for okay, I understand that that for you may be a whole lot more intense. But in general, you think about those three things are are really, un. Those three things are really unbeatable. So I I hope that in combination with the biohacking protocol that I'm describing, I hope that you can also integrate. One of those three things, because it will uh, provide these experiential anchors that will that'll internalize confidence in a in 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 a really unmatched way. And if you can do that along with along with the smart drugs, then you're <laughs> then then you're on then you're on the path to you're you're gonna be you're putting yourself like on the path to. Uh, Living a really remarkable life because your, your comfort zone is going to become the world. Think about that. Just think about that for a little while. Anyways, well, okay, I'll finish with what I think is the, the true antidote to uh, social anxiety, which I really think it's a discipline. I really think discipline is the true anecdote to social anxiety because in my case, in my case, the, in my, case uh, my social anxiety would always I would I, I experience regression. As I've explained, I'll I'll have these really peak experiences. I've had some some really amazing experiences, as as I've talked about. And uh, yet, yet, I seem to find myself, if I'm not really active about getting out of my comfort zone, about challenging myself, I regress. Uh, I regress to being alone, to being solitary, to being in my head, to uh, what I kind of call just being like a monk man, which is where I'm just working, I'm just like on the computer all the time. I'm just like laser focused in on some project and just letting life pass me by. And it seems it seems like I just kind of like regress to that naturally. And for me, it really does take discipline for for me to maintain my social life and to maintain my social skills and so this goes back to the things that i talk about in the protocol which is the which is the smart drugs which really do powerfully enable discipline and the the habits that i talk about in uh the habit the uh using coach.me to keep me really consistent with my social habits and it's uh when I do look at my social like right now, actually right now, my, my social life has been pretty good. Like I uh, I was in some other countries recently and upon leaving some of these countries that I've been in, I'd be I'd think to myself, I'd be like, you know, I really should have gone for gone for it a little bit more. Like I would say, you know, looking back at my time in these countries, I'm gonna have a little bit of of regret that I didn't really go for things, that I didn't really try to make the relationships that I wanted in these countries work. Um, yet in this right now, I've, I've actually really gone for it. I'm actually pretty happy with how, with how I've done it. One of the things that's nice about traveling, about doing kind of like the digital nomad thing that I do, is that you have, uh, you have some closure on chapters in life. Like, a lot of times, life, uh, okay, you remember the computer game Half-Life, how in Half-Life what you would do is it was like a continuous adventure. Like, each level was just an extension of the next level, right? Whereas there'd be, like, what's a computer game that was different? God, it's been so long since i played computer games. Whereas if you watch, like, a TV show, like, it's episodic. And it's, there's, there's clear chapters of, of distinction, right? Well, one of the things that's nice about travel and being a digital nomad is your life gets more episodic. It gets broken down by each place that you're at. And, you can, and so, so in retrospect, I can kind of be like, okay, like when I was in the, the Germany chapter, of my life. These these were the themes. These were the the these were what like my mindsets were and my emotions were at this time. This was like what my paradigms were. These were the smart drugs that are that I was on. This was uh this was the girl I was dating. These were the people I was pursuing. This was the work entrepreneurial thing I was dealing with. This was this was the bullshit problem that I was dealing with and that was the Germany chapter. And when I left Germany, that, that chapter ended. And I think, for some reason, I think that's way more conducive to personal, de- to beneficial, to real personal development than having this just like continual kind of like am- amorphous life experience where the place that you woke up, where you went to work, the things you did, the people you hung out with today are very, very similar to what they were a year ago, and they're very, very similar to what they're going to be in a year. I think that's why. I think that's why people always say that tra- I think that's why people say that travel is the the ultimate personal development agency. I'm not sure. I kinda like that hypothesis though, and I'm I may, uh, I may have to, to suss sus that one out a little bit. All right, this has gotten way too long in the tooth. If you're still watching, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, my content will return to its, its regularly scheduled uh, information, more value-rich format as opposed to me rambling a little bit. As you can see, the, the Balkan sun is, is setting over... Sophia Grad. So thanks again for watching. I'm I'm really excited to hear from some of you guys who are who are actually gonna try the social anxiety protocol because yeah the the protocol is a result of everything that I've been through for I'm 30 now and I've it's been at least like it's at least like 15 years of work that went into it there. And you know, at least five years of experimenting, of self-experimenting with different drugs and biohacking technology, and um, I have a pretty awesome social life now. As a result, I, you know, I, uh, I had an old notebook. One more, one more anecdote. One more anecdote. There was okay. So I, I purchased. No, I didn't purchase it. I emailed the author of a book on pickup when I was about 14 years old, one of the very first pickup bloggers. This was a long time. Probably one of the very first bloggers, period. And I emailed him and I said, I don't have a credit card, so I can't purchase your book. And he just, and he just emailed the book to me for free. He said, hey, let me just give it to you instead. An incredibly generous, incredibly generous thing to do, and it really set me on, on quite a, a life path. And so what I did was I printed out his entire book. I think I I used like 200 pages of printer paper. And I printed it all out and three-hole punched it and put it into a three-hole punch binder. And then on the back, uh, there was one place where he said, I want you to write out your ideal lifestyle. And I want you to write out what it would be comprised of what, what your what your day would look like, what you would be doing, how you would be acting. And so I went and I wrote it all out uh, on the back of this. And then I put it in a, a folder, and it collected dust for, for quite a long time. Although I, I would review it from time to time. But I saw it for the first time in about three years when I returned from Colombia, and it's, it's Quite a bit more dusty now, and it was in my parents' basement. And I did I look through I look through it, and if I think about the things that I wrote in it, they've almost all came true now. The these things that I that me as like a fourteen or fifteen year old that I wrote would be like my ideal lifestyle. I think there was a couple of like things like i want to be a millionaire by the time i'm 25 well that didn't quite work out but as far as like the things of like what i actually wanted my life to be like i think i i think, I've, I think I've, i'm doing pretty i think i'm doing pretty good for all those so anyways again i'm jonathan roseland with limitless mindset and as always i look forward to an ongoing conversation with you This video series is going to present some cutting edge biohacking techniques and techniques